Daniel. And I'm Pat. And this is Y2K Movies. A podcast about the films of the 21st century. This week we are doing a uh, double feature of 21st century black and white films. Up first we have 2003's Coffee and Cigarettes. Written and directed by your friend and mine, Jim Jarmusch. Or some people like to get drunk and pronounce it. Jim Jarmusch. Coffee and Cigarettes is a series of vignettes that all have coffee and cigarettes in common. Released September 5th, 2003 in Venice and May 14th, 2004 in the United States. Although some segments were filmed back as early as 1986. And one of them actually won the short film Palme d'Or at the 1993 Cannes Film Festival. So uh, a little bit all over the place, but definitely still technically a 21st century uh, release as the anthology goes. And, um, you know, I saw this one. I'm a, I'm a fan of Jim Jarmusch. I say Jar, do you say Jarmish or Jar, Jarmusch? I say Jarmish. That's what I thought too. So, so. he was, yeah, he, he was kind of, um, I went to film school in the nineties, something that I talk about ad nauseum around here. And, uh, he kind of was a independent filmmaker from the eighties and early nineties. He was, he was, he was pre Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino. And um, I was very familiar with his films. I have not seen all of them, but I've seen a good deal of them. And this is one that I was familiar with and I saw and I enjoyed. And, um, you know, I, I didn't know, I think the first time I watched it, that it had, that it was shot over, geez, uh, 17 plus years. Um, you know, I know a lot of his earlier films from the 80s do feature like Roberto Benigni. And Stephen Wright, um, those are kind of classic Jarmusch actors, Jarmusch actors, Jarmuschian <laughs> actors, or or uh, who's the fucking old Tom Waits? You know, that's kind of like I, his. You know, Quentin Tarantino has the people he works with. He's got Samuel Jackson and Steve Buscemi and shit, and Jim Jarmusch has got his little crowd too. Um, so yeah, I was. This was um, very much in his vein, and it was something that I enjoyed. But what what brought you to this? Because when you brought this up to me, not only this movie, but the, the concept for this week's show, I was really kind of surprised. And I, I, I was surprised that this movie was even on your radar. Yeah, so I am also a fan of uh, Jim. He today uses a lot of the same actors. And I like I really like it when I can get with a director or an actor and they're they're all the same, right? It's just like different characters. I, I really like the the group of friends setting, like making movies, because that's exactly like, you know, what I would have wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've seen a few of his films. I've seen The Dead Don't Die, which also has Bill Murray in it. That is also in this film. Uh, he uses, I want to say, Adam Driver and two of his newer, like Adam Driver is one of his uh, main guys to go to. And then I can't remember uh, who starred in. No, that was that wasn't it. I was going to say Gimme Danger, but Gimme Danger was about like rock and shit. Um, was it Patterson? Who? Uh, no, Adam Driver starred in Patterson as well. Anyways, there was a he had another guy that he was like getting into as well. But it seems like Adam Driver is becoming like one of his main people to go to. Uh, and I also do know the movie Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai. Yes. Who, so who just barely is. Can I mean, I, I don't know if I guess we can watch it and talk about it on our own. Anyway, we don't need to record every fucking conversation we have. But right. God damn, is that a great movie? And I, yes. I wish that it was just released a year later because we would totally fucking do an episode on that. Yeah, I love it. And actually, this uh, 
Ghost Dog shows up a couple times in coffee and cigarettes. Uh, Riza is wearing a like a beanie that says it. Uh, I want to say in one of the scenes there was a uh, like a picture of I think Forrest Whitaker up on the wall, <laughs> and then uh, it's you could just tell that that is something really close to him that you he know really what I... loved that he made. We that movie came out when we were in high school, and we all went to go see it. And like, how? Like, not saying. Listen, I ain't calling anybody a fucking fat ass, right? But <laughs> Forrest Whitaker is like an action hero. Like, he yeah. just does not have the, the body. body that you but, think that a samurai would have. Hey, <laughs> you know what I mean? we don't need like, it. Come on, man, look at us. I bet you we could do some of that stuff. Oh, I'll fuck oh, someone out with a katana. Are you kidding me? Yeah, that's of I'm course saying. I will. Yeah. So, you know, you just got to have balance. And all the THC <laughs> that we ingest probably makes us pretty, like, still. You know, yeah. like, we fucking know how to be quiet because we're paralyzed at the time. So, like, <laughs> so, but no, I, I liked a lot of this, uh, this movie. It was really cool and it was very interesting. Uh, I, this is my first time seeing it. Okay. Um, it, it was, I really liked all the people we got in there. I thought Iggy Pop was kind of funny. Uh, and then... Tom waits. I know that he's with him a lot, but Bill Murray's part was, I thought that that, that scene was funny just because of fucking Wu Tang, right? Like they put him with Wu Tang and I'm just like, this is hilarious. <laughs> and instead of, instead of partaking in coffee and cigarettes, uh, they're talking about how bad it is while they're drinking tea and smoking weed. And, and Bill Murray comes over and he's drinking coffee out of the pot and smoking a cigarette. And like that's like that scene, and that scene. I don't know what it was about it, but it was just like it was so corny and it was so cheesy. But I loved it because he was like, you know, like nicotine causes like paralysis, right? And like short breaks. And Bill Murray's just standing there, like staring at him, and goes, "No kidding, huh?" Like just, <laughs> just like literally. But he sat there for like ten seconds before answering. So it was just, I don't. Know, it was obviously it's just like being playful, but. But it's funny. And I also really enjoyed the fact that uh, basically the whole movie was uh, unscripted. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so it's made up of 11. uh, It's it's an hour and a half movie. And it's made up of 11, I mean, basically eight-minute segments. I mean, I'm no mathematician. I did not have a stopwatch. But if it's 11 segments, it's a 90-minute movie. It's about eight-minute little short uh films that involve two characters uh sometimes three um just sitting there having a conversation over coffee and cigarettes and surprisingly enough like you mentioned the you mentioned the uh Wu-Tang and Bill Murray <laughs> segment uh there's there's a couple where they don't actually drink coffee or smoke cigarettes yeah uh, that's uh, kind they're... of it's a very loose description of it yeah. um which is fine, you know. Uh, one one of the segments where they don't smoke features Kate Blanchett, who um, I'll admit, like I don't I don't have like stupid like celebrity crushes, but I'm very taken back by her, and uh, especially like her super goth girl phase from um, Thor Ragnarok. She is uh, she is a very very striking woman. Yeah, she plays the sister. Was her name like Helena or whatever? Or Helda, Helga. I don't well, know. it's her and her cousin, and but I think she, it's like her twin cousin or something, right? I, it's it's been a hot minute. I'm sorry. 
No, Kate it's not and good. Shelley. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and one of them's got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's it's Kate Blanchett and her cousin Shelley, and then uh, her cousin Shelley has the the brunette wig. Right. Yeah. So that okay. So <laughs> when they're in there talking, one of the best parts through that scene and you're right i i will have to say that like kind of like the goth thing i i can see I, I know what you mean by that but um in that scene when they're like they're i like how every uh background like every every uh little eight minute segment the backgrounds literally look like it was filmed in an abandoned an abandoned building in a corner that they just threw together except this scene this was like the only scene that like actually looked like oh this was probably like a hotel lobby or something, but mm. but that was the only scene that really had it where it wasn't rugged and ran down. It looked underground and and like punk and shit. Like everything else looked like looked like that. This one looked like a uh, you know it had nice curtains, a lamp. It had I also like the uh, the way that they talked in that scene. Because that was the one where they're like kind of they're in front of each other, but they're like the cousin is like little caddy on the side, you know, like so yeah. she's like half the time she's not even talking to her. She's kind of talking at us, actually. And then uh, Kate is is in the foreground and she's like talking. But I, I don't know. I, I definitely I like that scene and I really like how uh, they how Jim directed like the cinematography of that the shots. It's just well, actually, I like how it is in every scene. It, it goes to them, and then it jumps up to like a uh, ceiling view, and then it shows you know shines back down. But yeah, that that scene was actually that was a good one. That was, to me, it was honestly one of the ones that were pretty different. All the other ones were um, not necessarily like the same vibe, but like it was one of the only ones that really just seemed you could tell that there was some shit going on. <laughs> Like, they, really, like, like it was almost more planned than the other ones. How about that? Like, because the other ones kind of seemed like the, these people just like kind of met up there and they're, they're just like either catching up or something. This one, it was more of an actual conversation and it wasn't as awkward. I really, uh, the, the other one that immediately, I forgot about the, the Jack and Meg White one. Um, oh, the White Stripes. Completely people, forgot about yeah. that until I was doing research for this for this week's episode. The other one I remember really getting a kick out of was the Alfred Molina and Steve Coogan one. Okay, where yeah. uh, they're they're uh, meeting up for lunch, and Steve Coogan, Alfred Molina is like a is a is a much more famous, much more accomplished actor than Steve Coogan. Steve Coogan's kind of like this British goofy comedian guy. Um, he was in Hamlet too. He was in Twenty uh, Four Hour Party People. He was, he's, he's done some stuff. I mean, he's got a decent body of work. I'm not shitting on him, but Alfred Molina is like one of those classically trained New York actors. All, I, I'm pretty sure all of these segments were filmed in New York, which is where Jarmusch is based out of. So it was probably one of those things where when people were in town, he would just see if he could get together with them and film them. Right. And, uh, the, the whole joke of the Alfred Molina, Steve Coogan one is that Alfred Molina is really psyched up to meet. Steve Coogan and Steve Coogan give, couldn't give a fuck about Alfred, uh, Alfred Molina, um, which I mean in reality it would that's why it's funny is because who the like it would be the other way around, right? Um, but I thought and he, that would... and then he fucking leaves, right? Yeah, so, and, and he leaves him with the bill. Which okay, so I was going to tell you that was my like that was probably one, my second favorite like story 
Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I just also, uh, I know that it's been a minute for you, but so I was like watching, you know, I, I read the credits and the credits were pretty funny. Like he ended up putting out like references. Like he was like, so, you know, cause the movie talks about a lot of people and the, so what happens in the credits is they end up uh, actually putting like Nikola Tesla uh, Otis Blackwell. They put Ghostface Killer, Old Dirty Bastard. Like they're like they start put like all of Wu Tang on there. Uh, Spike Lee was mentioned on there. Well, it's just super funny, and I just enjoyed that part. Like the, I, the segment, one of the one of the the uh, the second segment that was filmed actually in 1989, uh, Twins. That features Steve Buscemi as a waiter who is uh, waiting on Spike Lee's siblings. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, there's that Spike Lee connection there. Yep. And that was mentioned twice, I think. Uh, With So Spike Lee, I knew that that was his kids, but that was kind of in there. And then I want to say in another segment, uh, actually with um, uh, the British guys, I think he I think he said he was on the phone with Spike Lee. Spike Jones. Or Spike Jones, wow. I don't know why I said it. Yeah, Spike Jones. I it was uh Same difference. Yeah, it was but it was there and I was just like, That's so fucking funny. Like yeah. and he goes and and then he was like, Oh, really? And he goes, Yeah. <laughs> so this is um this obviously to fit the criteria for this week's double feature. Uh it was shot in black and white. And uh, which is kind of Jarmusch's style. Um, looking at his IMDb page, his first, the it looks I think like the, the first several of his films were in black and white, um, and it doesn't look like he utilizes it too much anymore. But um, it was definitely how he got his start, and that was something that a lot of early independent filmmakers utilized black and white because it was cheaper. Uh, it, it's just a matter of, you know, if you're buying color film versus black and white film, the black and white film is cheaper. It's the only reason Clerks was shot in black and white. It was not an artistic decision. It was a financial one. Right. So black and white kind of had developed this almost the same way like vinyl records never really died. Right. Technologically speaking, we've surpassed. You know, that's so the funny, f- man, because that came up today, actually. What, like what that, that specific thing that vinyls have never died between the years of 2000 and 2010, they kind of, they didn't disappear, but you can, the digital age really took over. But once like the, once the technology of the iPod really came out and then literally advanced to what it is and in, in, in just a few years, uh, as, as a music player, we just r- went right back to records. Like literally we went just, it's, and it's kind of, it's almost like the same thing about like people that, uh, smoke weed and do, and then dap THC pens, you know, like I guarantee you that they would rather smoke the weed, but they can't, and they can't and all this, you know, different States because they probably enjoy the process just like people who really dig finals, which I would say is almost everybody that listens to music like religiously it is a process it feels good taking the vinyl out of the sleeve it's nice putting the needle on the wax like there's just a whole setup to it just kind of like you know making a joint (laughs) i well i would say definitely 
I would kind of compare using vinyl to dabbing just because it's it requires special equipment. Like that's the that's the hang up that people have now with vinyl is that everybody has the equipment necessary to listen to an MP3. You have an it's on your phone, it's in your car, it's it's on the your 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 house's artificial intelligence uh, th- network. It's everywhere. Your computer everywhere, right? But mm-hmm. you need to have a record player to listen to records. And a lot of people don't have record players because a lot of people probably don't know where to get record players because they've never walked down that aisle at Target. I mean, it's not really hard to get one, right? No. But it's still like people are like, well, I don't even have a record player. How often do you hear that? And, I, you know, the vinyl thing for a while, I think what kept vinyl alive is that when CDs first hit the market and like, yeah, you could go to Best Buy and buy Appetite for Destruction or Use Your Illusion on, on CD. If you were a band, if you were a smaller band, you it, it, you didn't have the accessibility to put your own music out on CD. That was a lot harder to do. It would take about a decade for disc burning stuff to kind of become commonplace, right? So you had bands in the 90s and the early 2000s still utilizing vinyl pressing because the equipment, the, the, the plants were still there and they were really right. cheap now. Now it's flipped and it's, it's right. It's way expensive easier. and it's harder to, yeah. Right. You, you could send, you can email a, uh, a CD company and you know email them three mp3s and they could crap out 200 fucking cds with a cover on the disc and like a sleeve and mail them back to you in like a week right yeah and now it's like i heard i heard something that like during the pandemic every independent band got that had um you know now there's like a waiting list to get your shit pressed and Mm -hmm. every uh every pressing company factory in the country and there's only like a handful of them was behind because the Foo Fighters decided to put out a new record and to get like you know when the Foo Fighters press an album they need to press you know hundreds of thousands of copies or some shit and they literally had to take over all of the vinyl pressing plants in the United States for it and every band that was gonna like get their like seven inches pressed before they hit the road that summer or whatever everyone got delayed because of the fucking Foo Fighters and um, not that I'm shitting on Dave Grohl I mean they got their own fucking problems but I'm just saying like that's (laughs) that's how like the technology has always been there but man it's been an up and down roller coaster as far as like accessibility and cost and price point and all this stuff right and um going back to the black and white thing yeah, it was a financial decision for a lot of filmmakers in the early 90s. And if you look at Jim Jarmusch's career, it almost seems like as soon as he could afford not using black and white, he stopped using black and white. And, right. and, and I don't think there's any fault to that. But, I mean, if you look at even his most recent films, like you said, The Dead Don't Die, yeah. Only Lovers Left. I mean, everything that he's done recently is in color. So, right. um, cool. Good and you for can, you, dude. And you can find a lot of his movies actually also on Netflix. Yeah, uh, some, he does have a couple streaming movies, again, uh adam driver is in it which i will say especially in the last decade i would say adam driver is probably one of my top actors that i like to uh like i I just really enjoy his work uh star wars and stuff that's whatever i just geek out for star wars regardless of how shitty the movie is but like you know the dead don't die I, i 
I've heard a lot of people say that was stale, but for me, it was it was fucking funny. You just had to like, you just have to understand Bill Murray's actual comedy. You know, when people are all like, "I fucking love Bill Murray," and everybody just goes to Groundhog Day, right? But it's like, like, okay, but what movies does Bill Murray really like making? And it's these shitty, stupid, dry humor movies. Yeah, he's still an artist. I mean, he. I mean, look right, at who he works that's with. That's what it most. is. Yeah, right. Wes Anderson. So, Wes Anderson and Jim Jarmusch. So that's yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what I was saying is like he is a like these people are really artsy, which I like. And uh, for me, I I I'm actually pretty like I really liked The Dead Don't Die, um, but a lot it it didn't do too well. I know that, but it was really funny. And I think if if you haven't seen it, you should definitely watch it because. Uh, you could you could just see his past in his present films, and that's really cool. And I, 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 it's just another thing that I really like. I like seeing people that don't forget where they came from, like Kevin Smith, like Wes Anderson. You know, uh, I I want them to still incorporate those f- original uh, designs that they had. And obviously, they have to evolve. You know, we could take Sam Raimi as an example for that. He had to evolve from the way that he was filming because apparently his movies in the 2000s didn't really do too well <laughs> and, <clears throat> excuse me and uh now he's coming back to the forefront uh he still has his cinematography like style still the same but you know he's not necessarily as goofy as he used to be or his movies aren't as uh i want to say like superhero shots i don't know if that makes sense but like he he used like in the 90s sam raimi used to do really profile close-ups on people like in uh love for the game or uh, i don't know between him and the coen brothers they kind of film they kind of weave a nice little net together yeah you know what filming style i just really i'm happy that jim was able to continue with his filming style even into like the present work i will check out the dead don't die i'll be honest i haven't seen it um and there was no the, no other reason except that when he did um, Only Lovers Left Alive, which was his vampire movie. Yeah, I, I really want to watch that. I heard a lot of people like, oh, it's really long. Or like, oh, it's not. It's vampires, but it's not really. And I was like, okay. And then he did The Dead Don't Die, which was um, zombies. And I was like, okay, like I'll check this out. And it looked more tongue-in-cheek and funny. And I honestly think it was just a matter of it was in the theater for three weeks. And I had I had shit going on back. To, I, I just didn't make it out. And right. now that it hits streaming, um, I will definitely take the time to check it out because uh, you're absolutely right. Adam Adam Driver, um, Bill Murray, Chloe Cervetti, uh, Steve Buscemi, uh, the guy that played Elvis in the Elvis movie, Riz is in it. Larry oh, Fesden, yeah, yeah. a horror staple. Uh, yep. Danny Glover. I'm just looking at the time waits. So, yeah, yeah I like will. It, it's But it is it's a Jim uh, jar M- musk movie, you know, like it's, yeah. it is him. Uh, and also only lovers left alive. I actually have been really wanting to see that. And I have no idea why I haven't. Uh, Tilda Swinton, you know, she does really good with stuff. Uh, actually that whole cast on only lovers left alive looks really good. And Tom Hiddleston's in it. So he's, he's very known now, right? I, I don't Well, no, this, this was post Loki. I, I don't, I don't fucking, masturbate to his name the way some people do i don't know oh no i i'm not i think he's okay but 
but actually, I think it's just the English shit like that. I, I think it's Loki is what pushed him over the edge. But if you really want to know a movie where I would, you know, just, you know, crank one out for him. Fucking Kong Skull Island. Oh, yeah. You know, what's he funny? actually he's a handsome motherfucker in that movie. I'm not going to lie. When he was promoting that, I have a buddy that's an editor on the Jimmy Kimmel show. And we were in L.A. for our honeymoon. And my buddy was like, oh, I'll get you green room tickets for this episode. And they don't know. I mean, we planned this like months in advance. We knew we were going to be in L.A. that week. And we knew what day we were going to go down and, and go to Jimmy Kimmel. But we had no, he had no idea who was going to be there. Right. Right. Because they figured that out like the week before. Right. So he calls me the week before. And he goes, guess what? When you guys are going to be there, um, uh, Garth Brooks is doing a live parking lot concert. So you guys will get to go see that. <laughs> Tom, Hiddle- Tom Hiddleston <laughs> will uh, is going to be the guest promoting Kong Island, and there's some kid that was in this movie that's going to be there, and um, someone else. And we're like, all right, cool. So we went there, and uh, we we like take a cab there, and we get out, and we walk in, and we're trying to find the place. And while we're trying to find the place to get in because you don't go wait in the line right it's the green room thing we're with this other kid where there's this kid this british kid sitting on the corner with the alley on his cell phone and he's like i don't know where i'm supposed to go what do you mean turn down here and he's like he goes this excuse me you know where kimmel is and we're like we're trying to find it too so we start walking with this guy and we go about halfway through and we find the door and they let us all in it was fucking tom holland what yes it was it was he was promoting like cop car and it was before uh, they announced him as fucking Spider-Man, and wow. it was he was the guest that night, and then Tom Hall, and then Tom Hiddleston was promoting uh, Kong, uh, Skull Island, and he came out in a gorilla suit or some shit. Because I remember him coming back through the through the to the green room where we were having this party, and he had the suit off and he was holding the head, and everyone started laughing and clapping, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, fuck me, I'm the guy in the fucking monkey suit." And then uh, went back in, and then we all went in the parking lot, and we saw Garth Brooks play. Huh. So it was, and my wife was like, "Wow, you really, this was an amazing night." I'm like, "Well, you're welcome." Pays, pays to get <laughs> fucked by Pedal Sullivan. What can I tell you? That's right. Mm. With the with the kickstand. I think that um, we'll be doing um, the Dead Don't Die fairly soon because I'm sure I'll probably watch that by the end of this week. Yeah, so. no, I'm totally down for it. I can rewatch it. It's I saw it right when it came to uh, DVD because I actually rented it from Redbox for a dollar. Uh, that was when did it come out? Was it 2019 or 18? 2019, or? yeah. Damn, 2019. And you know that's crazy to think about because the next movie we want to talk about, The Lighthouse, also came out in 2019. Yeah, good. Let's uh, segue to that one real quick. So, the second film in our 21st century black and white double feature is 2019's The Lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers and written and directed by Robert Eggers and Mac Eggers. Max Eggers. The Lighthouse tells the tale of two lighthouse keepers as they try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s. The film premiered May 19th, 2019 at the Cannes Film Festival and then saw a wider theatrical release October 18th, 2019 in the good old United States. I probably saw this like the second it hit VOD. I was so, um, you know, The Witch, I had gone to a uh, a uh, critic screening of it here in Chicago with a front through a friend of a friend. And, um, as much as, as polarizing as the witch was, and we can talk about that on a different episode, it, um, 
it definitely made me interested to check this out because it was in black and white. I'm a huge, unrepentant uh, Robert Pattinson fan. I love, I absolutely love him. I will go see basically anything he's in. And um, him in this plus Willem Dafoe was a recipe for my interest. Um, but we'll get some <laughs> overall <laughs> reaction later. Why? Uh, why did you want to include this one in the in the double feature? Okay, so I and you know, well, this movie basically came out almost almost twenty years later uh, from Coffee and Cigarettes, and this is one that it was a complete different style of black and white. You know, they. Uh, the black and white film that they used for coffee and cigarettes and clerks and all that stuff, that was just, it's just black and white film. The film and the uh, Oculus and the things that they used in Lighthouse was like 19th century, late 19th century, obviously, <laughs> to earliest 20th century uh, filming ratios and aspects. So when uh, old cameras and old film, uh, late, 19th century or 20th century, they would block red light from coming in. Uh, and instead of any red, what it would do, it was act- it would actually pull out uh, any blemishes on your face or anything like that. Instead of it red, it, it would turn it to dark so it looked uh, black or dirty or like anything like that. So him choosing, Robert Eggers choosing that for the lighthouse, not only for the timepiece, but just because it kind of messes with your eyes even more um red is a natural occurring color right so us being like us seeing the way that this film is and like i actually had to go back because i read about that before i rewatched the film and i was like huh and i did watch it and you know willem dafoe with especially during the emotional parts and Robert Pattinson, you could see like their instead of their faces turning red, they were turning black. So that adds to the uh, the suspiria, the hysteria, the like the the horror that's happening. Them going crazy, them turning on each other. And I felt like through the whole like I just thought that this was the best filming style for this movie. And because of it, and I I mean I will say because of this movie, I think Robert Eggers will. In a hundred years, we're going to be talking about not even a hundred and fifty years. This is a guy that's going to be talked about like Alfred Hitchcock for like us. Like this is going to be the twenty first centuries. He's going to be one of the masters of horror, basically of the twenty first century. Um, he also that's established. A, that's a bold uh, claim, Cotton. I am. I'm going to say it, <laughs> and I know a lot of people don't like the light, lighthouse actually, and I understand that people don't like it because it's a twenty four and. It is pretty artsy, but I, if you know any, like, and cosmic horror fan or uh, isolation horror or just like a psych, just a really good psychological fuck or any mythology, even this is like, a, this is a great modern movie for that. And it, it, it it's like the bet. <laughs> It's mythical, man. It's mystical. It's it makes you want more. Every every scene is is on purpose, which I understand that's movies, right? All that mm-hmm. is happening. But like even like I mean, it goes all the way down to the seagull that Robert Pattinson uh, had a little scruff with. To whenever you know, like uh, when okay, so real quick, I guess I should backtrack. Uh, there's like it, to sailors. There's like lore and. Um, 
I can't even think of the word. There, there's a there like a fuck. What is it called? Like hocus pocus kind of shit. Um, what is it like? Whenever like people, they like if you walk under a ladder and like black superstition. Cat. Superstition. Thank you. Superstition. <laughs> Sorry, I'm high right now. So uh, <laughs> superstition. There's a superstition that if you that seagull when a sailor dies, he his soul is carried by the seagull. The seagull. Uh, there was a, so Robert Pattinson's character is replacing a man that died already uh, at the lighthouse with Willem Dafoe's character, and which, by the way, Willem Dafoe's character is named Thomas. <laughs> it so is so is Robert Pattinson's later on. You find that out, but his real name was, what uh, or not his real name, but his what was he going by? F Ephraim or something like that. Anyways, so Willem Dafoe. He tells this story about like you don't fuck with the seagulls because that's the lost that's the souls of the sailors, and the man that it's, he he killed a seagull that didn't have an eye. Well, then he ends up finding the head of the lighthouse keeper that was dead, and he also doesn't have an eye. So like there's like all these like little bits and pieces I was picking up, and I don't know. I just I really dig it. It's if if you really can get into it, which like obviously you know I did, um, it's a movie that can really miss the like it, it does it takes you you can really get into the movie and you can deep dive, and it's just it's it's a fun ride, and it really makes you think it really fucks with your head, like well it doesn't really like fuck like I'm not over here like scratching my head or anything but it fucks with your head in the sense of like is is this real? Is this really happening? Are the care? Is there a reason why both characters are named Thomas? Is there a reason why both characters kind of have the same, like look in a sense? Um, is, is this actually not even real at all? And it's, it's like a, you know, like a, a singular thing where it's Willem Dafoe's Thomas is fighting with his younger self, which is Robert Pattinson's Thomas. Uh, which is weird, but I mean that keeps going. That that goes on along with the movie. Um, I'm sure you know this movie's been out for a while, and I've already spoiled something, so I'm just gonna basically keep going. But uh, you know they they have like a nice little scruffle, and uh, Willem's Thomas dies, <laughs> and Robert Pattinson's at the end of the movie. Whenever he's like going through his own shit, because you know he's fucking mad now, he falls out of the lighthouse. And there's a thing that happens that makes me wonder if any of this is even real. Like if this was just a figment of Robert Pattinson's Thomas's like imagination. And that is Willem Dafoe's character has a bum, like a fake leg. Okay. So when Robert, Robert Pattinson's character falls out of the lighthouse and he breaks that motherfucking leg. So like, I I'm starting to get to the point where this is like, it is almost so Lovecraftian and so submerged in mythos and and just mystical shit and also all the ties to like greek mythology it has that it really makes you wonder if this like what if that's not like what if he just continues out like you know we don't really know what happens at the end other than we we presume he dies right but what if he actually got saved and he comes back out and he becomes like willem defoe's thomas and it's just a never-ending hell for him because, like, that's how that's how this movie kind of is, right? But I'll stop. I'll stop talking for a little bit. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I thought that it was very, 
It was very striking. Um, I do like the way it uses black and white. I think in in this setting, it definitely lends itself to the old timiness. And um, yeah, I mean, I thought it worked in this. You know, I think you can still make movies in black and white where it fits the aesthetic, and this was definitely one of them. Um, you know, as far as the content goes, as far as the mystery of what's in the top of the lighthouse and the deal with the fucking mermaids and, and all that stuff. I left uh, the mermaids to you. I wanted yeah, to I, I didn't, I didn't really give a shit. Um, I think that, yeah, there, I think that it picked a good setting. There was, it was definitely this isolationist vibe and there's these two guys in this lighthouse. And I think that we don't, we probably don't think of, especially those of us in the Midwest, uh, we, we don't think about lighthouses and um, what it's like to live in one because we don't have them. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, you, you do. You have them on the Great Lakes. Actually, yeah, there's some for sale out there right now. But honestly, dude, I'm I'm telling you right now, right. I don't yeah, know anybody I, that works yeah. in one or has walked past one gotcha. in the past fucking thirty so, years. So, me so, personally, I li- I live at the beach. I've been in multiple lighthouses. I've uh, I used to live by a lighthouse, actually, and maybe that's why this movie does connect to me a little bit more. You know, because I I mean, I send you pictures when I go to the beach. Sometimes I sent you remember it was months ago when I sent you you and Asher's that picture of that really foggy day. It was it was eleven in the morning. And it, you couldn't see 10 feet past the break. Like, that's how foggy it was. And that kind of shit just, oh, fuck, I love it. It's like, I think of the mist. I think of the lighthouse. I think of, like, like what the fuck's out there? And realistically, it's nothing. But to me, I, I just like to think that there is something. Yeah. No, I can appreciate that. I mean, I, I once again, I think it's regional. Um, yeah. I think, that, you know, people that that live close to the the ocean and shit like this is something that makes sense to them they see those lighthouses they wonder about those lighthouses and blah 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 and and for those of us in the midwest they're like oh yeah i know that lighthouses exist and you know it's a slice of life thing for something that we don't know i mean hey there's people that watch shows about fucking crab fishing that don't <laughs> crab fish or, or no right. crab no, fishers, no for you know? sure yeah, yeah. It's, it's slice of life stuff and and yeah, we could appreciate the the isolationist element of it, but um, I just think that that's all that's all dressing, that's all aesthetic. I think at its right. core is supposed to be a story, and it's the story of these two lighthouse keepers, an old one and a young one. And I think that there, there's enough friction mm-hmm. and drama to kind of have me and, and have me interested, but. It did feel like it fumbled the supernatural element to it, and uh, I wanted something a little bit more concrete. I thought that it teased something Lovecraftian and that it didn't really follow through on. And I think that is kind of, as someone that's a Lovecraft fan, I think that that's something that we we frustratingly get a lot of. Right. right, we we get these like. Well, it's because Lovecraft did it to us too, you know, in his books. Like it was, uh, yeah. But it, there's there's a lot of the other than like the Cthulhu mythos or Cthulhu mythos, however you want to pronounce it. Um, like when you start getting into all his other works, uh, what is it? The Dexter Clyde. Um, you have the and the and the mount uh, the mountains of madness. That one does give you a creature, but it's like the very end, which 
that's you know and we've we haven't and surprisingly we still get great adapt adaptations for that movie which is great you know we got the thing and we got at the mouth of or the mouth of madness or the, yeah that's what it's called right from john carpenter Right. Mouth of Madness. Yeah, with Sam, with Sam Neill. But yeah. yeah, so so we definitely do still get that. But I, I mean, you're you're right with the supernatural. I, I definitely would have enjoyed maybe it ending with I would have even been happy if there was like a pair of yellow eyes off in the distance. Right. Like something that says Cthulhu is there or anything like that. But I actually liked. Them not having a lot. I know that sounds bad because I am one that wants to see the monster. You know, like I want them to deliver it for me, but there was enough tentacle scenes and the mermaid action uh, that it was enough for me. And and maybe I say that because I feel like the movie at its core was probably an identity crisis. You know, it seemed like it had a lot of uh, some gay undertones. It seemed like it had. Uh, I yeah. Like there was just there was a lot to it, and I think, I think them being lost and like truly, it was almost like you know the real villain or the real bad guy is just it's our brain, it's our imagination, and we are the monster, right? Like Robert Pattinson's character became the monster, and he even destroyed himself. But let me like, talk about the, let me talk about the gay thing real quick. Okay. Did they? I, I remember. When I watched this, and I didn't get a chance to rewatch it for this week's episode, and there was no way in fuck I was going to, but I <laughs> seem to remember that wasn't there a scene where like Robert, like one of them tries to kiss the other one? Yeah, so there was a scene where they almost kiss, but it doesn't happen, and, and things, then they fight. And, but who? Yeah, yeah. Who was trying to kiss who? And, and then it stopped, and like because uh, I, I looked on, I, I was looking on Wikipedia, and I was looking on online to confirm that, and I it's just kind of like a. It was it was like in the midst of an argument. It, it seemed like there was definite tension between both of them. Yeah. Okay. So so and also you know what man? Maybe another reason why I really love this movie is because Willem Dafoe. This is to me this was one of his like it's not a tour de France, you know, it's nothing like that. But it if tour you had tour de force. Sorry. Yeah, I'm so high that's right a, now. That's a motherfucking bike race, yo. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. The same yeah, bike oh, race. Shit. Hey, was that on just recently? Because I think that's maybe... I saw something like that. Anyways, the tour de force, his masterpiece, the art, right? This isn't it, but this is something that I would put in... If I had to get a collection of his movies and his acting, top 10 for sure. That's where I'm at with it. I'm not yet ready to put in the top five because he has a lot of fucking artsy movies that are filmed in Europe. <laughs> and like uh, like Antichrist or uh, his role even in uh, Nymphomaniac. So like he yeah. like he like Willem Dafoe is one of my favorite actors, which is great because you know I you know but he's one of my favorite actors like since I was a kid I should say he's not like Adam Driver part of the 21st century gang no he's like he's from my childhood and up Willem Dafoe's always been there he's one of the actors that I've always gravitated towards uh, and Robert Pattinson who you know on our previous episode we just talked about Twilight right and he was in that and I never watched that. I didn't really care about Robert Pattinson, but then I saw him in something and like that he did right after that. And I can't remember what it was, but then I saw him in the lighthouse and I was like, fuck, he is a good actor. Like, Holy shit. I'm an asshole. That's literally what I thought about. And now I, 
anything that he is in, I will practically go see, but I have not obviously double dipped and checked into Twilight or anything. The past stuff I don't really care about, but like his shit in the future and like him as like this, like he is He's the becoming, new yeah, like he is like he is fucking awesome. And yeah. he has he has a very bright future ahead of him, kind of like Adam Driver, which I'm really happy about, by the way, because that was somebody that I didn't know was going to get a chance. Uh, just like actually, did you hear that John Boyega uh, might be replacing Jonathan Majors as uh, Kang. as uh, Kang? Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be down for that. Uh, Jonathan Majors, I don't. I never John, see. I liked him. That sucked I, for me because I actually liked him. I didn't feel too strongly about him one way or the other. I thought he was okay in the stuff I saw him in. Do you um, watch Lovecraft Country? You know, I started to, and then I lost interest. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, it, it started off strong with me, and I really I liked it, and I liked how provocative it was, mm-hmm. and um, I thought it was good. And then it just kind of stopped feeling as like essential viewing, and I just kind of stopped watching it. And then that was gotcha. it. Mm-hmm. You know? I I recommend to finish it if you, if okay. you could. Uh, did you ever read the book? No. Okay, so you know, like Lovecraft Country is basically it's it was written and by Lovecraft fan, but also kind of like telling Lovecraft to fuck off. Like that's kind of how it is. It's uh, he wrote it like Lovecraft and put Lovecraftian monsters, set it in a universe of Lovecraft, but brought Lovecraft's biggest fear <laughs> as the main uh, protagonist. So. Uh, he obviously we know that Lovecraft was very racist, and that's how he wrote into his books. Well, let me just uh, ask this: Lovecraft Country is one book, or is it a series? It's one. Okay, so right now it was one book, but a month or two ago, uh, something of destruction came out, and that's the second book to it. So I actually got it. Uh, I pre-ordered it on Amazon, and I got that shit three weeks early, which was awesome. But. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. I haven't finished it. I did start it, but I'm also I I'm in a lot of books right now, so I put that one back to the side. Uh, but it's a short read. It should be something super easy to finish. But I read Lovecraft Country like a few years ago, and I was thinking about reading that again before I read the next one, just because it's been a minute. And they're both they're both like relatively easy reads. Um, I'll check those out. I'll read. I'd rather read the book than watch the show because honestly, I'll read the book quicker than it would take me to watch the show. And uh, I, I like to read more, but I'm in the middle of reading stuff right now, which uh, I don't want to talk about on air. So <laughs> let's close no this like I can, I can, We can talk books real quick. So uh, I think this was a good double feature. Um, I think I'm a big fan of black and white. I, I honestly, I used it a lot in my own filmmaking. And the reason I like to use it is because I feel like um, not the last thing I, the, the last 48 hour film I made rest for, for, for recipe for oblivion. That was not black and white. But Blood Spray, which is available on Troma now, that is in black and white. I use black and white at least fifty percent of the time. I think that, um, and I and it's obviously a, it's there's, great. There's no I cost associated with it because it's all digital filmmaking now, anyway. But right. I like it because it makes it it makes me feel like I'm watching a movie that I would have watched when I was in the independent film as a kid. It makes right. me feel like I'm watching a Kevin Smith or Jim Jarmusch film. Yep. Right. And uh, I think that there's still there's still good uses for it. It's still a viable option when filmmaking. And I think I, I think it needs to be more. I think yeah. it needs to be bigger and more prevalent in in uh, Hollywood right now. And I'm, I'm definitely glad that it has a place in 21st and Y2K movies in uh, right. 21st century film. I'm glad to see that we're still using it. And you're absolutely right. I hope to see more of it. 
I think you bringing up the black and white version of The Mist uh, a bunch of episodes ago, I think right. that one made me look into more of the like the 21st century black and white. Because actually, really, like I really love black and white movies. I am a huge fan of Creature of the Black Lagoon. I love a lot of the old Dracula films. Um, there, I don't know what it was about. It was just, uh, or like The Invisible Man. That's another one of my really ones I like from Universal. But there's just something about about like it's romantic to me i guess that's it it's it's something that i look at it and it just looks sexy in any movie to me at least but uh i i would definitely recommend seeing both of these movies and always remember coffee and cigarettes is a hell of a combination